Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk to Scott, who is the Lended Executive of the Year, and he runs the company called Lending Club that many people in the US know. We're going to talk about what's wrong with traditional banking and BNPL, buy now, pay later, great opportunity and where Lending Club plays these days, apart from other services, obviously one of the first neobanks in America. So welcome, Scott. How are you today? Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. So thank you for joining. Now, first question I always ask, what's your background? How did you get to do what you do today? Sometimes it's hard for people to replicate, but if you can give us some tips as well, how to become a CEO of Lending Club, that would be awesome. I'm My background is I'm a growth marketing uh, chops. That's the path that I came up through and have managed to partially deliberately and partially by luck been positioned in different industries as they were going through transformations and and or kind of growth spurts. Started in advertising, as you and I have talked about briefly before, was really introducing a bunch of consumer packaged goods from the West into Eastern Europe, and then moved from there into online advertising, from online advertising into e-commerce, and from e-commerce pretty much into what I'm doing today. Well, great. It sounds like it was a great preparation for what you do today because you live and breathe digital. So maybe let's start with looking at the traditional banks and the incumbents. What's wrong with traditional banking and how Lending Club can can fix it? Yeah, I'll acknowledge first the what's right, and then I'll talk about the what's wrong. So the, the sure. what's right is the U.S. financial system is, a, is obviously a model for stability. And what you don't have is people worried about, is my money safe? And could I lose it? But what's wrong is uh, the way the banking system has grown is it's really lost the uh, customer as the center of the activity. And there's just an enormous number of practices that are not particularly customer friendly. And there's, you know, also just a lack of, of an experience that really delivers on customers expect and what is technically possible today. And you know, you've really seen COVID accelerate that increase in consumer expectations and the move to digital where they say, hey, it used to be bank branches were the number one driver of your choice, like where the location of the branch drives who you bank with. And that has very quickly moved to the the excellence and the superiority of the digital experience. Which brings back some memories because I remember one CEO coming to the, its uh, strategy team and saying, look, I look at all these decks and I don't see the word customer. How is that possible? That's really what drove you heard in my background. I came up through marketing strategy and moved into more data-driven marketing when I got into online advertising. And what attracted me to the company was basically this idea of, wow, this is one of the last industries 
to have been disrupted by technology, right? We've seen it hit travel. We've seen it hit retail. It hasn't hit consumer banking yet. And gosh, this seems like a problem that a technology company could solve. Like lending is a data problem. The experience you can deliver as a, a Valley-based customer-focused company is light years ahead of what the banks are delivering. And even being moderately successful, you can build a great company that really does something differentiating for the consumer. And so that, that's what brought me here. It was this ability to bring all aspects of my experience together, the data-driven, you know, customer-obsessed piece to build a, a great brand and a great business. So how does Lending Club work for people that maybe don't know it super well? I know a lot of people know it, but uh, still. Yeah, so the, the basic model is consumers can come to us. So our primary introduction to customers the first time they do business with us is that we help them save off of the cost of existing debt. So we're taking debt they already have, that they're already paying, and we just lower the cost. So that's typically credit card debt, which almost half of all Americans who have a credit card are carrying credit card debt or auto debt. And so we say to them, look, Keep doing. We can save you off of the cost of this existing balance. It takes two minutes. We'll give you an instant offer and see if we can save you money. That aspect of it then leads to how are those loans funded? And there's uh, two ways. One is we recently acquired a bank. So we have our own bank balance sheet with access to low cost deposits that allows us to hold some of the loans that we offer. We hold about 20%, but the remaining 80% goes to a marketplace. And it's a it's a pretty large scale loan marketplace that includes a broad range of investors, dozens of banks, large asset managers. We work with seven of the 10 largest asset managers in the US. And this marketplace of investors does a couple things. One, it drives down the cost of credit because these investors are actively bidding uh, for the loans and we will take the value that gets generated from that and we turn it back to the consumer. And the second thing it does is it, it allows us to say yes to a broad range of customers. You know, the bank's credit risk appetite is really only for the highest credit quality customers, but other uh, loan buyers are willing to take more risk. And by bringing all of these investors together, we cover a broad range of customers, which is great for customers because they get access to credit at low cost, but it's uh, also great for the business model because it makes our marketing much, much more efficient. Because when you buy an ad on Google or whatever, Facebook, you don't know if somebody has a 600 FICO or an 800 FICO, and we've got a product uh, for them in either case that's great. I see. You mentioned the credit card debt and consumer debt in America. And of course, to some degree, that is not a bad idea. But uh, people also talk about there is sometimes too much debt in America. But it, this has been going on for so many years. And I'm not sure whether there are any solutions to it. How do you help your clients to stay or become financially healthy? Yeah, clearly, we have, we have obviously a, a consumer driven culture and credit is a big part of that. And, and what and you see this in our customer base is that up to the point that you become really extremely wealthy, higher income generally just means higher debt, right? The higher the income you have means you have a bigger credit card line, you have a nicer car and a bigger car loan, you have a bigger house with therefore a larger mortgage. So those things do go hand in hand. So what, what we do is our initial introduction, as I mentioned, is, hey, you chose to buy a car. Keep driving that car, have your loan paid off in the same time period, 
we'll save you 80 bucks a month. And it's only going to take you a couple minutes, right? $80 a month, we can lower your monthly payment. Or like I said, you've already got this credit card debt. Let us lower that payment. On average, we're saving people about 400 basis points off of their cost of credit on credit cards. So that's our introduction is basically not creating new debt uh, so much as swapping out the existing high cost debt for lower cost debt and making it very easy to do so. With the acquisition of the bank, what we're excited about is, you know, not only some of the financial benefits that we get from that, but also strategically, what does that mean we can do for the customer? It means we can go beyond just helping them lower the cost of their lending, but we can better help them manage their spending and their savings. So I just gave you these two examples. Our dream case is great news. I can save you 80 bucks a month off your car loan. Why don't I lower your payment by 40 bucks a month and put the other 40 into it into a savings account so that at the end of your loan term, you've got several thousand dollars in savings or, hey, congratulations, you're approved for a personal loan. Why don't you put it into a lending club bank account and every dollar you spend on your debit card, I'll give you a cashback reward that'll go to pay down your debt faster. Right. So we want to integrate this lending, spending and savings in a way that helps people stay on track, helps them understand their debt obligations and makes it easy for them to find ways to save. Right. Uh, which sounds great. Plenty of opportunities to provide uh, value to your clients. Now, let's dig into this a little bit more. How do you do it? You hinted at your partners, right? I guess because you're a neobank, the technologies, and then now you also have a banking license. So probably that's another angle. How, how can you afford to provide those savings or pass those savings on to your clients? Yeah. So there's, if you look at this and try to think about our business model versus the other comparisons, I'll highlight a couple of really core strategic advantages that we've got. Let's say versus a fintech, what do we have? We've, we're vertically integrated. We issue our own loans. We don't pay somebody else to issue the loans. For Lending Club in 2019, that was roughly $30 million of expense. We have access to low-cost deposits to both pool loans for sale to investors. Prior to becoming a bank, we had warehouse lines. And cost of a warehouse line at that time was 330 basis points. Cost of deposits when we acquired the bank was 35. So 90% reduction in those cost of funds. So we knocked out a bunch of expenses that typical fintechs have. And we added a whole new revenue stream. And that revenue stream is now interest income coming off the loans we hold. We earn three times as much money for loans we hold as we do for loans we sell. So that's the benefit versus the fintechs. Vertically integrated model with lower expenses and higher revenue. And there's also a stability benefit, which is deposits are a stable source of capital that we can tap if things get uncertain or volatile. So that's versus fintechs. Versus banks, what do we have? We're a digital first model. We do not hundreds or thousands of bank branches and all of the operating infrastructure that's required uh, from that. We're not working on legacy systems that are 30 or 40 years old and, and siloed. So we've got a much lower cost operating infrastructure. And as I mentioned, we've got this marketplace model that means we just say yes to more customers than the typical a bank would do. And that means more efficient marketing. And then the final piece is we've got a really strong data advantage. Our first loan was made in 2007. We've issued over 70 billion in loans. And so we've over 150 billion cells of data on 4 million customers in the online environment through multiple rate uh, and credit cycles. 
And so all of that data is being you know, used very effectively to power who should we be targeting in our marketing? Can we make them an offer? What's the price of that offer? What questions do we need to ask them to get them through the process? How should we service these people? And so you can see the power of that data in a lot of our public metrics. And we've got the lowest marketing acquisition cost in the, in the industry. About 80% of our loans are automated, which means they're much more efficient. We're outperforming the competitive set when it comes to our delinquencies. So you just see we're able to deliver really strong performance as a result of our ability to harness that data. So you mentioned the strategic advantages of the positioning. Maybe let's just close it out as well when it, when you talk about the business model, right? How do you make money? But you mentioned the interest rate, the fees, etc., because now you also have a banking license or banking charter. So how does that work? How do you make money? Yeah, one piece is the marketplace revenue, which is fees, which is fee income when a loan is originated. Then the new piece we've added is, and the, the, that, that fee income comes when the loan is issued, the majority of it. And then there's another piece of fee income that comes in the form of servicing fees that investor pays, investors pay because we're servicing the loans throughout their lifetime. The, the new revenue stream is interest income, and that comes in over the life of the loan, and that's building. We acquired the bank roughly a year ago, February of last year, and net interest income in Q4 was about 30% of our revenue. The new stream, that's now 30% of our revenue, and that income stream comes over time and is therefore resilient and provides an ongoing source of revenue independent of the originations. All right, understood. Let's also clarify who are your key clients, right? Because you mentioned that you work with the investors, the partners, you, when you talked about the marketplace, and that can help you to expand uh, your reach on the other side as well to end consumers. So what kind of end consumers are you looking at or how big are the loans that uh, they need and that you provide? Yeah, we serve a broad range of customers and as I mentioned to you before, you got a 600 FICO, we, we can serve you with a cost-effective product or if you're an 800 FICO. We say yes to a broad range. Our core customer, kind of the heart or the, the dead center, tends to be, given what I said, tends to be people with an average FICO of around 700, average income of around 100,000, which goes back to this fact that, hey, higher income, 100,000 in individual income is pretty high income, what goes with that tends to be higher debt. So higher credit card debt and higher auto debt. And so that is the core. And these are people that have made a decision to, to do something, right? To take action in their own financial interest. Some are looking to completely get out of credit card debt and pay it off. And we make that really easy to do as part of the loan process. And we even reward you for doing it. We give you a lower rate if you do that because we know it'll make uh, your loan perform better. And some people are just looking to lower the, the uh, cost of their overall credit. And then over time, people get introduced to us through these offers of reducing their existing costs. What happens over time is they come back and they want to do something else with, with us. So for example, hey, they see how easy it was to get a personal loan to pay off credit card debt. Now 
they want to add a deck to the back of their house or remodel their bathroom, they'll come to us for uh, a personal loan to help cover that. And we've got about 50% of our customers come back to us within five years. And we've got very high NPS scores of about getting close to 80. That's net promoter score. That's the percentage of our customers who basically would strongly recommend us to a friend. And about 80% of our customers said that trust us with more of their financial needs and get would like to get more products and services from us. I see. The buzzword of the last 12 months maybe was BNPL, right? When it comes to buy now, pay later or consumer debt, or some people say that's not a, a consumer debt. It's, a, it's just in to, installment payment plans. It's re- regulated differently, especially in the US. What do you think about that? Because you are helping people to become financially healthy, to have lower cost of financing, maybe, as you said, getting out of uh, credit card debt. How does BNPL play into this? Yeah, so uh, as I'm sure the concept is not new, what's new is the explosive growth of e-commerce combined with the convenience of a more integrated financing option, which is driving that adoption. Um, I think to the extent that consumers can understand the debt obligations they're taking on, can see it holistically, understand the impact to their overall credit, health, and debt burden, and the extent to which other lenders can see it on the bureaus and know what's happening with consumers that they're extending offers to, I think it's a a fine addition to the overall credit landscape. Now, those are a bunch of caveats that aren't yet in place. And so... They're underway and, you know, varying providers of BMPL are providing various information to the bureaus. The various bureaus are treating it differently. So there's still a lot of work to get to that place that I just articulated. And between now and getting there, and I'm sure you're, you're seeing the data on this, there is a risk that consumers take on uh, debt from multiple different providers and lose track of it, don't see it. There's risk that other credit providers don't understand the true debt burden of customers because not all of these lines are being reported to the bureaus. We, our customer base is underrepresented in this category. And that makes sense just from a psychographic standpoint of what I just talked about. And, and in terms of how we participate, we participate in, let's call it the higher end of this spectrum, right? So we have, we help people who want or need depending on your definition, elective medical treatments, as an example, this is a decent sized business for us that aren't covered by insurance. So think about something like a fertility treatment. You want to have a baby, you need support, medical support for that. Those procedures are $12,000, $15,000. And that is not a spur of the moment impulse purchase. So that's something that we would help finance. So that's where we play, let's call it a considered deliberate purchase for somebody in a larger ticket item not a beauty basket or a a drugstore purchase. Understood, understood. So obviously looking back, let's say last two years, we had a pandemic all around the world. Now we are in the middle of another global crisis. So it looks like it never stops. But what that meant for economy is that a lot of people lost jobs. Then the economy rebounded. They found the jobs, especially in the U.S., what did that mean for your business and delinquency rates and things like this? Did you see any spike there? Was it tough for you or you had measures in place to deal with this flexibly? 
Yeah, we look, it, it required very significant management response, but the company fared very well. And that's because we had been preparing for an adverse environment and many of our investments that we'd made in the two years preceding the onset of the pandemic were really to get us ready for the next credit cycle. We put in, we um, <clears throat> created a more distributed, low-cost workforce for our operations. We put in a new loan servicing system to enable us to be uh, able to more quickly deploy hardship plans and hardship options. We put in a new decision science platform that would allow us to make credit changes more quickly. And we, ironically, we even did a tabletop exercise on how we would respond to a pandemic in October of 2019. So six months before the pandemic hit. So we were pretty well prepared. We moved very quickly. We were one of the first companies to close down the offices, moved to fully remote, shifted from loan sales to servicing, rolled out pandemic plans to support customers. And the, the net impact of it and core goals for the company were obviously keep employees safe, number one, but supporting our borrowers and protecting our investors' returns. And we did great. The, our, our delinquencies versus the competitive set were 30 to 50% below everyone else's. And so loan returns remained very strong, which is a sign that customers got through it. We helped customers get through it by supporting them with hardship plans and payment plans through their periods of uncertainty. So we feel really good overall about how we fared. Sounds, sounds great. In incredible job you did. As I mentioned at the beginning, you're also Lendit's Executive of the Year. So shout out to Peter Renton, the CEO of uh, Lendit. How did you feel about an award like this? It obviously humbled first and foremost. It The point you made uh, a few minutes ago, man, when you look at the environment we've all been through for the past several years, it felt good to just take a step back and appreciate what we collectively, the team at Lending Club, has accomplished and to be recognized for this transformational year. We managed to, to both, I think, very effectively navigate through the pandemic with our employees and our customers. I didn't mention that also on the employee side, we've had record high employee engagement and in, at a time when you know, you're reading about the great resignation and a lot of mental health issues with, with employees, I think we did a, a good job there too. So it felt really good to be recognized for all the all that we accomplished. It didn't happen in that year. It was It was all the work we did leading up to the year and the year was the execution of it. Sounds good. So before we wrap up, I have two easy questions for you. First of all, do you have a favorite business book or a documentary that you can recommend that inspired you and you think it can inspire others uh, that are somehow interested in the world of fintech? I'll give you two. So one for our the shorter attention span part of the audience, there's a great podcast, How I Built This, that talks to entrepreneurs and they tell the story of the founding of their companies and what comes after just listening to a few episodes is the degree of grit and determination uh, required for these successful companies to achieve what they have. Another one, which was a, a gift to me when I took over as CEO of Lending Club during, during a very difficult period for the company is a book called Anti-Fragile. And it's really about how to, how to build an organization that can take a punch and had a pretty formative effect on me, which it's no coincidence 
that, as I mentioned, all the things we were doing leading up to the pandemic year is what helped us be ready to absorb the impact of that. I see. Thank you very much. We'll put it in the show notes. We'll check it out as well. Now, last question is, what's the best way to reach out and who would you like to hear from most? Oh, best way is definitely email. Strangely, but true. That's where I spend my most focused time and that I've got the best system for staying on top of. And who would I like to hear from most would be anybody innovating around our space in data and analytics, in customer experience, fraud prevention, marketing breakthroughs, all of those pieces. Love to hear from people. All right. So do you want to share the email then? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, ssanborn at lendingclub.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Scott, and uh, good luck to Lending Club. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.